This morning we're going to continue on in our Advent series, the Advent Lament, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This is week five, and Pastor Jason's going to come in just a moment and speak to us from Revelation chapter 21. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles this morning, beginning at verse 9, we're going to read that text. And as we do, the children are dismissed this morning for kids for missions. They're going to make their way out of the sanctuary and to the youth center for their own particular time, learning about how God is declaring, or we are declaring God's glory around the nations, to the nations. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 9, listen to what John tells us. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, And spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates... Twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Foundations of the wall and of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, and the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, and the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth cry. O prize, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for in its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, For the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written In the Lamb's Book of Life, this is the word of the Lord.
As Pastor Ron mentioned, we are in week five of Advent, the, the extra week of Advent. Advent is typically the first, the four weeks before Christmas, and we're celebrating an extra one today, and I'm grateful that we are, that we get to celebrate um, our expectation. Um, Advent is really, when, when we talk about the four weeks of Advent, we're talking about the, the expectation that the Old Testament Messiah, or the Old Testament saints had for the coming Messiah, their expectation, their hope. And then we talk about the culmination of all of that on Christmas morning or on Christmas Eve, when we talk about Jesus coming and being the culmination of all of those promises of the Old Testament. And today, we get to talk about the expectation expectation, the expectant hope that we have as New Testament saints for the, for the Messiah that is to come and to redeem the world. And so we get to talk about that in Revelation chapter 21 today. As you remember, if you remember our weeks, we have been looking at the, at the song, or we've, we've been using the song, Come, um, sorry, <laughs> Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We've been and working through different scripture passages relating to some of those themes. Our first week was Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. We talked about God orchestrating all of human history to send his son at just the right time to become like us so that we might become like him. Second week, we talked about Born to Set Thy People Free. We talked about the curse um, that, that has come, three effects of that curse and three remedies for the curse that we find in scripture. We talked about from our fears and sins, release us, let us find our rest in thee. And that day we talked about the fears that we have about the Messiah that was to come and the truth that there is that we find in the word about finding our rest in Jesus. Last week, Pastor Ron shared with us, hope to all the earth thou art, looking at the all-sufficient merit of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and how he applies that, transfers that to us. And today we look at Revelation chapter 21. John, here in Revelation chapter 21, gives us a picture of the culmination of all of this expectation, the culmination of all of this yearning, the culmination of all of this waiting. And he begins to give us a picture, some of which we can understand clearly, some of which we will not understand clearly until we come to the end, until we come to the finalization of all of it. But we read in chapter 21 of Revelation, as Pastor Ron shared it with us, starting in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels, who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues, and he spoke to me and he said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I think as we start, as we dive into this, this first, very first portion of this passage, we have to say, what is the bride of the Lamb? At least that was one of the first questions that I jotted down as I began to work through the passage was, was through the New Testament, we see, we see over and over that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. That you and I, that's what we celebrate. You and I are the bride. That, that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And so as we jump into chapter 21 here, it says... Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And we kind of get excited. Here we come. This is going to be us. We're, we're the bride. And it says in verse 10, And he carried me away to the spirit, to the great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. And if you're like me, you're taken aback 
a little bit. I thought the church was the bride. I thought it was me. I'm, I'm, I'm the bride, not a city. And yet, that's exactly what he talks about. If you go back, and we'll go back a little bit in, in a little bit, but earlier in chapter 21, uh, he says that the city is presented as, as a bride to the bridegroom. That when, when John talks about the bride, he's talking about the city, and he's talking about the church, both at the exact same time. Both of those things, both of those things are the bride of the lamb. And so you have to say, well, how, how can that be? And the, and the best illustration that I think I can give of it would be uh, when, when, when the hero comes back to town or when the, when the World Series winning team comes back to town and, and they gather together for the parade to celebrate and they say, the whole city came out to celebrate the return of the champions. Now, you're obviously not talking about the brick and mortar. The, the, the city itself did not come. You're talking about the, the people, the ones who live in the city. And so, so you talk about a city and you can talk about the, the buildings or you can talk about the city and you can talk about the people. And both of those things are, are, are the same thing. That's what John is talking about here. He says, there's this marvelous city and it's filled with this group of people. These are all together, the city and the people, the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. He goes on in verse 11. He says, he showed me this holy city in Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall with 12 gates. And at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes. And he goes on to say that there are three east gates, three north gates, three south gates, three west gates. The picture that John begins to paint for us of this city is not the city, not, not a fortress city. A fortress city would have great high walls and it would have one main entrance on one side. It might have a, a back door as well, an escape hatch on the back side, but it certainly would not have entrances on all four sides. That's hard to fortify. That's hard to protect. He's not talking about a fortress. The picture that John is painting for us is an open city. There's gates on the east side and the west side, on the north side and on the south side. Not just one gate, on those sides, but there's three gates on each side. This city is open. People are pouring into it. And not just people from one direction, but all four directions are open. There's, there's all kinds of people from every nation, from every tribe, from every kingdom. They're all coming in to the open gates, coming into this giant city. These gates have names written over the top of them. The names of the 12 tribes that we find in Genesis. It has on the bottom, on the foundations of each of those gates, there's names of the 12 apostles. This is, this is a huge, a huge marker that John is pointing to here. He's saying the Old Testament names are on the top. The New Testament names are on the bottom. Those are the foundation. And this gate that's, that's letting people into the city is 
a joining of the Old Testament and the New Testament together, all of the promises that we have from the Old Testament, all of the promises that, that Jesus has made in the New Testament, all of those things together are coming together right here and people are coming in through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, through the promises of the Word into the Golden City. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And then as we continue on in verse 15, it says, And the one who spoke with me, the angel, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The angel has a measuring rod of gold. In this holy city, in this, in this perfect bride for the lamb city, the yardsticks are made out of gold. And that just begins to give us a picture of what's to come. The yardsticks are made out of gold. It reminds me of the joke, you've probably heard it, but there's a a, a rich man who makes a deal with God that he's going to take a suitcase on with him to the afterlife. And when he gets there, the angel that's leading this man into into heaven in this joke says, you know, no one's ever been able to bring a suitcase before. You must have something very valuable to bring with you into the afterlife. What did you bring? And the man opens up his suitcase and it's filled with all of his earthly gold. And the angel says to him, pavement? You brought pavement? That's the picture here. This is unworldly. We cannot even fathom it. The yardstick that the angel uses to make the measurement is the most precious thing that we can think of. What the angel shows him as he walks in to the gates, what he walks on, is what we think of as the most precious thing in all of the world. The one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length is the same as its width. And he measures the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. 12,000 stadia. We don't understand stadia very well, but commentators tell me that 12,000 stadia is probably around 1,400 miles. So this city is four square. It's 1,400 miles long. It's 1,400 miles deep. It's 1,400 miles tall, cubed. 1,400 miles is probably the distance for us in America, we would say, uh, 1,400 miles would be everything west of the Mississippi in the United States. So this city is half of the United States or half of the continental United States. For John, though, 1,400 miles or 12,000 stadia would have been the whole world. And in fact, 12,000 stadia during John's time would have actually been the, the phrase or the measurement that they would have used for the whole world. So when John is saying this, this city is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, the picture that he's giving us is it's, it is everything. It is, the city is, is everything, the whole world. It, and, and that's what we know to be true of heaven. That God is going to redeem everything. 
and the whole world will be turned. He says it's 12,000 stadia, it's 144 cubits by human measurements. And then he says the walls built of jasper, the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall are made out of every kind of jewel, jewels that we don't even know, jewels that we can't even correlate right now, jewels of antiquity that we don't even understand. And the picture again is that everything in this city is of incalculable value. More than we can more than we can even process, more than we can even understand. The, the, the streets are gold. The foundations of the, of the walls are made out of jewels. A little later, it says that the, the gates are pearls, one big pearl for each gate. Everything has incalculable value. Everything is unbelievably magnificent all the way through. And then there's something that he shares in verse 22 that I think is even more valuable, even more magnificent than what we've already looked at. He says in verse 22, and I saw that there was no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The temple is the Lord, the temple is is the lamb and there is no temple found in the city. Why does this matter? Why is this better than a street of gold? Why is this better even than a foundation of jewels? Why is it so important that John sees that there is no temple, there is no center place, there is no gathering spot? And that the temple is in fact God. Again, it's because of all the promises that we've been looking at from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament promise that starts at the very beginning in Genesis when Adam and Eve are created and they're with God and there's no sin and, and everything is right with them and they have this personal, close, tight relationship with God. And then sin enters in to the garden. Adam and Eve bite out of that fruit and everything changes for all of human history. Sin enters into the world and that relationship that they have with God is instantly broken. They sense and know their shame. They hide from God when he comes to the garden. He says, why are you hiding? And they said, we're naked and we're, we're, we're ashamed. Their relationship was broken. And God, God at that moment, in Genesis chapter three, gives the promise that there is a Messiah that is to come. There is, there is hope for the future, but their relationship, Adam and Eve's relationship, and everyone from that point, their relationship was different than what Adam and Eve originally had in the garden. Adam and Eve longed for that relationship again, and since that time, all of us have longed for that same relationship. And as you read through the Old Testament, as you read through the book of Genesis, especially, you see that there are, there are saints. There are those that, that follow after God, that long for him, that want his glory to be seen. Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph. But all of those people, their relationship with God is, is at a distance. 
They try to, to follow him, to honor him, to, to, to look to him, but their relationship is distant. They still hear, they still know, they still worship. But from far away. And then, as you work your way through the Old Testament, God shows up. God shows up in a burning bush in the desert. And Moses sees him and speaks with him and listens to him. And all of a sudden, it's different than it was before. God is present and God is here. And if you know the story, Moses Moses goes and he he rescues the Hebrew people out of Egypt and God shows up in there in, in plagues and in, in Passover miracles. He shows up by, by parting the Red Sea and rescuing the Hebrew people, the Israelite people. He becomes a fire by night. He becomes a cloud by day, leading people around, leading his chosen people. God is, God is there. They can... They can see him day and night. And finally, they come to a mountain, and God invites Moses to come on up to the top. Moses is up there, and he begs to see God. God shows him, God shows Moses just a brief glimpse of his backside. And when Moses comes down, from the mountain, his face is so bright that all of the people tell him he needs to cover it up because Moses has been so close to God that people can't handle it. They can't handle the radiance that's on his face. While he was on the mountain, God gives Moses instructions to build a tent, to build a tabernacle. And so Moses does. He, he builds the tabernacle, or, or, the, or the people build the tabernacle, and God moves into the tabernacle. There's a, a place, a spot, just for him. He comes and he lives with the people, and he, he, he removes himself from the tabernacle, and they know that it's time to, to tear the tent down and to move to another spot, and so they gather up all of their things, and they move to another spot, and they set it all up, and God's presence is there. They see it. They know it. They know that God is there. And the tabernacle remains a symbol of God's presence with the Israelites for several hundred years until Solomon comes along, the third king of Israel, David's son. David had a dream of building a permanent structure for God, a permanent home for him in the capital city. David was not allowed to do it, but his son Solomon was. And Solomon built this unbelievable, beautiful temple structure in Jerusalem. And when the prayer, when when Solomon dedicates it, God's presence is seen and felt moving into the temple. He's there. People know it. God lives in the temple. They bring their sacrifices there. They want to be in the presence of God. They know where to find him. He's there with them in this structure, in this building. 
But as history goes on, and you know the history of the Old Testament, people began to wane in their following after God. Prophets come and call them back and, and try to declare that God is, is, not, is not interested in their, in their sacrifices of, of ritual, but instead wants their hearts, but the people don't respond well. And then, at the end of the Old Testament, there's silence. For four hundred years, no prophets speak, no word of God is heard or spoken that we know of. It's as if God is gone. And then we get to read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God is no longer residing in his own room at the temple. But God now has become flesh. He is with. He is with us. He is with those in the New Testament time. Jesus has come. Emmanuel has come. God is with us. And Jesus comes and becomes the representative of God in human form. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God until sin entered into the world. And then believers had a distant relationship with him. Moses comes and God is present. They see him. They can follow him. God moves into a tabernacle and then into the temple and they know where he resides. God comes in the flesh in the person of Jesus, but it doesn't even just end there. Jesus, after a short ministry with the disciples, is crucified. And when that happens, you, you know the story, the veil that's in the temple, the, the separation between man's portion of the temple and God's portion of the temple, that tears, that, that curtain tears from top to bottom, from God's side to our side. And it's opened up. And Jesus is raised from the dead, and as you continue to read on in the book of Acts, the disciples are all gathered in a room after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Jesus has made a promise 
that he's going to send someone to help them. And they're gathered in the room and the windows open and a wind rushes through the room where the disciples are gathered after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And the Holy Spirit enters into the picture and he enters into the hearts of the disciples that are there and they see fire like flames dancing on their heads. God, who was in the tabernacle and the temple and became man in Jesus, has now become spirit. And that spirit resides in the believer. We now have become the temple. We now have become the tabernacle. We now have become the place that the spirit resides. And and while we celebrate that, that is so much better than, than all of the other pictures that we've had. It's so much better than, than God living in the tabernacle and the temple and being distant from people. It's so much even better than, than Jesus being here side by side with us. Now God is at work and alive inside of me. And yet, and yet I still have this imperfect body and a soul that struggles to fight sin and to chase after God in the way that I should. Even with the Spirit's help, I still struggle. It's not quite perfect. But John tells me in Revelation chapter 21 that there's no temple in the city. There's no temple there. The temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And he says it earlier, if you, if you just back up a little bit, in the same chapter, same chapter 21, it's not on the screen, but if you're looking at your Bibles this morning, John started it this way when he started in chapter 21. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, bl- as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We can celebrate that the walls look like jasper. We can celebrate that the streets, the pavement is gold. We can celebrate all of the jewels that are in the foundation of the walls, but the thing that we want to celebrate more than anything else today is that we will be with God. We'll no longer be God at a distance. It will no longer be God in a room It will no longer be God and man beside us. It will no longer be God inside of this broken body, but instead, it will be you and me with God in perfect relationship. There's no distance, no buildings, no cross, no perfect spirit working in an imperfect body. There will be no separation for the glory of God gives light and the lamb is the lamp. That's what we hope for.
That's the expectation that we look for. He goes on to say that the city has no need of sun or moon or to shine on it or the glory, for the glory of God gives it life and the lamp is the lamb. There's not even any light there because it all comes from God. He is the light. He goes on to, to say in just a little bit, the gates will never be shut by day and there's, because there's, there's no night there. Those pearl gates, those beautiful pearl gates on each side, three on each side, 12 gates total, they never close. There's no need for them to close. It's open. The city is open for all the nations in all the directions to come and to be part, to live, to dwell in that city with God. There's no night. There's no time that they need to close the gates because they're worried about what's about to happen. There's no fear. There's no night. By its light, all the nations will walk. All of the kings of the earth will bring their glory to enter in to this city. They will bring into their glory and the honor of the nations. Sounds like a grand and glorious place. And then he closes. Then he closes with one verse here. Verse 27 says, but, but, nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The gates are open. People are coming from every direction, north, south, east, west. Three gates on a side. It's wide open. Anyone can come except not anyone. John gives a caveat at the very end. And he says there is, there is a price that has to be paid for passage into this city. Your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life. He paints this picture of this place that we all want to go. He paints this picture of a relationship with God that we all want to have. And then he says, here's the picture. You're going to want this. You're going to long for this. This is the hope of our future. But there's a price that has to be paid. And it's not paid by you or me. It's paid by the Messiah that was promised all through the Old Testament. It was paid for by Jesus. It was paid for by the Lamb. And for those who have their name written in the Lamb's book of life, there is hope. There's a glorious hope of promised future for those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. My questions this morning for you as we close is first, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? John told us that for all who have believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God. So this morning, as you hear this, this promise is for you if you believe in Jesus as your Savior. 
your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. My second question for you as we close this morning is, are you longing in anticipation? Do you hope just as dearly, just, do you yearn just as strongly as the Old Testament saints yearned for the Messiah? Do you look just as longingly for this future? Because the promise of the Messiah to the Old Testament saints is the same as the promise of this new Jerusalem for you and I. Is your prayer, come thou long expected Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Is that the hope of your future? I trust, I hope that it is for all of us that we long to be present with God and to celebrate with him. We're going to sing this morning that song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Matthew's going to lead us and we're going to close out this series by looking to him. Please stand with me as we sing this morning. Unexpected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver born a child and yet a king born to reign in us forever now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit in all our hearts alone by thine all-sufficient merit raise us to thy glorious throne God, my prayer this morning is that we will long for your glorious throne We were walking in darkness, your word tells us, God. We were far from you. And yet you, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, sent your son to be God in human form on earth beside us. And we rejoice in that, and we rejoice even more in the work that you do in us conforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. And yet this morning, God, our prayer, while we are grateful and thankful for the work that you have done and are doing, we are looking forward 
to the completion of that work, to the glorious city where the lamp is the lamb and the light comes from God and we are there and every tear is wiped away and every fear is gone and we are present with you. So God, help us to long for that day. Help us to trust in the Son that we might be have our name written in the Lamb's book of life and that we might celebrate one day with you at the completion of it all. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who makes this possible. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.